when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. How you doing, Internet? It is April 21st, 2017. You're listening to Waypoint Radio, and we are definitely not live from Lobby One. We are coming to you from all over the world, really. Uh, well, all over the sort of general northeast and, and mid-northeast mid of the U.S. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I am joined by Patrick Klepik. Hello, hello, hello. Am I the... I'm in, is- the Chicagoland area, the the mid northeast. I that, feel is like that it what is. I mean, it? because it's only what like a thousand miles in. It's not like okay, if if America is like more, uh-huh. than, it's like thirty five hundred across, and yep. you're only a thousand. You're you're still like generally east, right? You're still I don't I'm know. S- I'm spitting distance. <laughs> the like different Chicago teams are in different conferences in different yeah. sporting divisions. Like it is an east and west city. That's just how it is. You got both. They're firmly in the Midwest. <laughs> firmly yeah, in, Midwest. But I'm in the Northwest suburbs, so... Oh. Then you're basically a Westerner, really. You're a Westerner. <laughs> is that, is right. that what the You should the, be wearing a cowboy hat, to be honest. <laughs> I have one. I have oh, one upstairs. Good. Oh, well, I mean, I wear, I wear, wear sometimes when I golf. <laughs> Perfect. Also joining us from the definite Northeast, even further north and east from New York City, where I am, is Rob Zachney. Uh, we like to call it New England around here. <laughs> yeah, is that right? Yeah. Little, yep. We're a little choosy about our terms and what gets yeah. considered New England. Oh, I know. Oh. I remember there was this very heated discussion about whether Rhode Island counts as New England as a, as a lifelong Rhode Islander. I was very offended. Still offended. You know, my rat face is very offended. If you could see it right now, internet... In my in my defense, mm-hmm. I was getting pretty loopy that day because that was the day that the allergies finally caught up with me, and like <laughs> that was the that was the onset. Yeah. Well, Team Waypoint got hit with some some nasty flu. Oh, it's this been week. bad. It's been oh, bad. Yeah. Like I, my kid got me sick, but then there oh. was a flu going around uh, in the offices, and it's 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 bad. It has been oh. a down week for <laughs> for the health <laughs> of Waypoint. Yeah. Well, it's also something of a down week, down month, I don't know, it, a little bit down in general. Uh, uh, Patrick, you wrote a, a really great piece, uh, it went up just today, about Guardians of the Galaxy, the Telltale series, and about how Telltale has been kind of riding on the same technology for a long-ass time at this point, and it's starting to really kind of catch up with them. Yeah, like, to, to your first point, it is nice that video games are pumping the brakes a little bit. Like, it is, <laughs> it is nice, you know... As, as amazing as the first couple of months of this year were and continue to be, given how many games I didn't get back to, you know, yeah. I still haven't finished 
Yakuza Zero. I had barely touched Neo. Like I'm, you know, 15 hours into Persona 5, but I played that for a week. Then I put it on pause so I could try and play some other smaller games before I go back to Persona 5. So it's been it's been nice to actually like, you know, it's okay. Like there are a lot. There's so many video games that came out in the first four months. I would probably be fine for the rest of the year yeah. uh, with, with, with what's already been uh, given. But, you know, I, I have been trying to check out some other things. And uh, I, I've talked about this on the show before that, that my wife, who, you know, supporter of video games, you know, helped us buy a house, uh, those video <laughs> games. Uh, but it doesn't spend a lot of her free time uh, playing them herself. Um, and But one, one of the few things we do do is that we play pretty much all of the series that Telltale uh, puts out. You know, we started playing them with The Walking Dead because – at least at that time, I was a fan of the show, um, and <laughs> sure. playing a video game version of that seemed uh, interesting, and they did some really fascinating stuff with the storytelling in the, the first season of The Walking Dead. Um, and since then, because it was something for us to sit down and enjoy together, you know, I hold the controller, she makes the decisions in the game, it was just kind of a fun way to, to bond over this medium that has brought you know me a lot of joy and, and success in my career, and something that we can enjoy together. Uh, so, t- we've often treated Telltale kind of like a TV channel, it's like more like, hey, yeah. what's on... You know, what is Telltale doing right now? Um, and we don't necessarily finish all the series to completion. Like, the Game of Thrones series was not great. Um, <laughs> and then we played two episodes in and, and just sort of dropped it. Never got around to the Borderlands series just because I bounced off, like, the stylings of Borderlands. Although I've heard that the Borderlands series is really good, partially because it was designed by people who aren't don't have a particular affinity for Borderlands, so they tried sure. to create stories in a world <laughs> that was interesting to people that may not necessarily have gotten into the comedic trappings of um, the uh, the Gearbox game. So anyway, it's a, a long way to say that I'm, I pay pretty close attention to these games. I've played a lot of them. I'm aware of their ticks. Um, and the thing that just kind of came to a head with this most recent series, uh, The Guardians of the Galaxy, which the first episode uh, is out, uh, is just how... Their technology is now undercutting their main selling point, which is story and characters. Um, so, like, I can deal with uh, crummy frame rates. I can deal with some stilted animations. But Telltale's gambit was that you know we're making adventure games. But like, what used to mean adventure game was storytelling with puzzles. Like, there was there was sort of a template there. Like, you know, uh, Thimble, uh, Thimbleweed Park, which just came out from Ron Gilbert, is very much another game in that model. Broken Age was a game in that model. And what Telltale did was take the story part and slowly start to sort of massage and eventually erase out anything but the storytelling part. And, you know, you, you do crew, you, you make decisions, you, uh, but those decisions are very light. You know, the story is still edited, you know, you, A and, uh, and Z, like you still get there. You just kind of deviate a little bit along the way. The story still ends largely in the place that the storytellers wanted you to, but, and I'm fine with all that, but, uh, in Guardian specifically, the contrast against James Gunn's, uh, uh, cinematic guards of the galaxy, which is like, you know, like, you know, razor sharp editing and, and, and wit and humor. And like, there's a lot of moving parts that work in concert to make that, that movie work. Um, and they ape a lot of that stylings for the game, but then it is undercut by the fact that it seems like when you're watching the characters, they appear to look like they're out of a, a like a, a, a discarded Chuck E. Cheese, <laughs> Uh, restaurant, like they just kind of move their arms up robotically. The mouth is clearly not at all synced to what they're saying. It just kind of flaps open and shut. Um, and and timing, which is huge to comedy and thus yeah. very like uh, critical to the, the Guardian series in particular. Like there are moments where they set up a joke and then like it has trouble loading 
the next scene or there's enough of a pause that it ruins the punchline. And so it's like you look at the writing and you go, this is funny. This is a funny joke. Uh, You look at the voice acting. They nailed that part. But the actual technology, the engine, like, works against this series in particular, but has been uh, a larger problem for Telltale's games. I just think it was illustrated uh, very acutely in this one. And it, it, it allowed me to sort of tell this story that I had heard a long time ago. Uh, that uh, Telltale's engine uh, famously internally is derided even by the folks that work on it uh, <laughs> yeah. because it is just uh, not uh, evolved and in the way that they would have liked alongside the company expanding and creating as many series as they are. Um, and so the the the, the, uh, the anecdote I use is that since The Walking Dead, around the time that Telltale kind of became sort of a blockbuster studio, at least in terms of the kinds of games they make, uh, it didn't have a physics engine. And, and now it still doesn't have a physics engine. Now, granted, like in an adventure game, there's largely cutscene base uh, for the types of games they make. Physics isn't the most important thing, but it's indicative of like a larger internal problem with the tool that they have to use is that you just don't have a lot of tools that you can use. It limits experimentation. Um, and this is largely because Telltale continues to use a proprietary engine. They don't use Unity. They don't use UE4, which is fine. Lots of studios use internal proprietary engines. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but there has been this long simmering tension over a tool set that is extremely limiting. And I think we are seeing that manifest in the kind of formulaic storytelling and design that you end up seeing in these games that may be also hampered by their production schedule but all this like kind of comes together to undercut if you're a game if you're a studio that is selling story and characters uh if everything is if things are working against you uh emphasizing that that is a problem for your studio that has become more acute uh over time so patrick uh, like is this a a fairly talky episode because i know a lot of like telltale first episodes are a little bit like stage setting and don't get into too much action i'm curious like does this one follow that mold is it is it largely like dialogue where you're seeing these issues yeah especially because like guardians like as a premise like yes the action is whatever it's interesting but like you know the, the reason you know guardians of the galaxy at least james gunn's interpretation of it in the in the, the marvel uh, movies like is about these characters and the, the interactions these characters have so that that's what uh, at least the first episode is very much about there are sort of the you know like brief action set pieces and exploratory stuff but it is really a lot of talking with people. And so, like, there's a scene I highlight, which is, you know, between Drax and Gamora and Star-Lord, in which they're having, you know, kind of reminiscing on a, a battle they had with Thanos, and they're sort of, like, cheering to the fallen. And it's, like, it's it's a comedic and also dramatic scene that is, like, deeply undercut by, like, the fact that these characters can't emote in a way that allows you to sort of get into the scene in the way that the writing and voice uh, acting is trying to get you to do. So it's, like, especially in this... Uh, the Guardians one, which is very character-based, uh, as opposed to the last series they did, the Batman series, which I also generally liked. Um, that one was, like, more action. Like, there there was character stuff. There's a lot happening with Bruce Wayne, but there was more of a balance. And at least in this one, like, this is all about the characters and them interacting and speaking with each other. And so it's really frustrating to, you know, this is the kind of thing that even my wife can notice. It's like, she's not next, you know, um, she doesn't play a ton of games, She, but if she can tell that, like, the animation is like kind of janky in this. Like it says something that even she can pick up on that. <laughs> yeah. So I, like I did play, I did play Batman and for me, like the dialogue was a little off, but I actually found that easier to live with because it's like, 
maybe it's because I played enough like '90s FMV adventures growing up, where it was like, <laughs> you know, like somebody would say something, and then like everything would be free frozen for like three seconds. Yeah. The CD-ROM be like, nyeh, nyeh. like Tex Murphy <laughs> games were all about like snappy comedic timing that had to wait on your CD-ROM like every single time. But Batman, so I played it on the PlayStation Four uh, earlier this year. Because it went on a sale, and I was like, I like Batman. I like Telltale. I'm sure this is going to be awesome. (laughs) Like, it's a Telltale game that I found, like, borderline unplayable uh, in the fourth and fifth episodes because it started getting a little more action-heavy, which was, A, less compelling. Uh, If you're going to play an action-heavy Batman game, like, boy, there are a million of them that you'd rather (laughs) play before Telltale take on that. Right. But the other issue was that... So there's this scene in, I want to say it's the next to last episode of Batman. Pretty dramatic stuff. The police commissioner of Gotham City, not not James Gordon, but like his predecessor, is right. like out at a cafe with his wife or something. And whatever the crazy group of Arkham-affiliated yeah, terrorists. Yeah, I've, I've forgotten what they are, too. Yep. Uh, I was, we'll, I just, was like, we'll just say that we're trying not to spoil it and not that we've completely forgotten the story. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I was like, the Sons of Arkham? The, the, oh, you're close. The, the boys Sons are, of Anarchy? Something. Of Arkham, the Children of Arkham. Children. Children of the Arkham. So these, <laughs> no, it is the Children of Arkham. We, that is correct. That is yeah, correct. Children of Arkham. So they show up and... So does Batman. Like, Batman's trying to save all these people from these terrorists, and the police commissioner's there, who has been sort of an adversary th- to this point. There's a whole, like, almost untouchables baby carriage down the uh, steps, uh, slow motion, <laughs> wow. like, sequence of events where a lot of things are happening. And meanwhile, Batman needs to be kicking ass throughout this entire scene. And the entire thing on PlayStation 4 just fell completely, the like, completely apart. Like, Things got badly out of sync, where you'd now Ugh. hear dialogue cues from, like, two screens back while oh playing something entirely different on the screen. So, like, Batman is, like, punching a dude, and you're hearing, like, the police commissioner's last words, like, <laughs> oh while he's doing it. Like, save, you have to save Gotham, Batman, and, like, Batman's just going to ha- go ham on this dude, and then, like, he turns around and, like, cradles the dying police commissioner... And now dead silence. So actually, the, they got out of sequ- sequence where like it was serving up the animations so late that oh, the sound just oh, like geez. went oh, off man. and did its own thing. Plus, because Telltale only has one gameplay trick, which is like the the timing puzzle, the time the, you know the timing game of their yep. Simon Says action. This stuff actually needs to be pretty precise, and yeah. like, <laughs> right, it, yeah. it's all you've got. You have you have exp- you have like briefly exploring a room until you trigger an item that triggers the next conversation. You have like mostly meaningless choices as they've gotten away from like actual like Walking Dead style. Like you know, Walking is different because it's zombies and it's life and death, so the, the stakes there are, are clearly different. But like the choices. I haven't meant, really meant that much in a, in a long time. So it's like the you know the the one other thing they've got are these like timing action sequences. And yeah, if they can't nail that because like a performance issues, like you know you've uh, you've essentially undercut like one third of your gameplay options. It feels like these honestly would be better off as radio plays at this point, as like a ridiculously well produced. You know, with voice acting, like, radio drama. Like, back in the 40s, but it's Batman, or it's, you know, it's the Guardians of the Galaxy. Which is, 
I don't know what that says. You know, I mean, it's very, I, I know the folks who work there are very frustrated, but there's something else in your piece, Patrick, that you, you sort of mentioned, like, you know, a few years ago, it was a lot easier to kind of be like, oh, you know, maybe if something's a little choppy, that's fine. The writing is so good and the, the characters are so good. But also, Telltale was not the, like, Batman, Game of Thrones, Guardians of the Galaxy, like, major, major license, you know, sort of bigger budget, lots of people working there kind of studio that it was four or five years ago. They were making smaller games four or five years ago because there were smaller studios. So now it feels like it's a little bit harder to excuse some of the technical issues when it's like, Y'all are rolling in money at this point. Maybe, maybe not literally rolling in money. You know, they might not no, but they're, be. They're that not a scrappy upstart, right? Like right, you, I, exactly. I think a lot of this was forgiven to the first season of The Walking Dead because it was it was so compelling and interesting, and they were clearly taking uh, a lot of uh, narrative and creative risks. That okay, the say oh my saves didn't go over. Okay, I'll rush through the episode again. And uh, and yeah. I I was fortunate. I've never really run into these like really significant save problems that I know lots and lots of people have had issues with like there was someone on Twitter today telling me about uh what was it um I don't know I don't know which series they were playing it might have been Game of Thrones but they made some uh monumental decision in in uh, episode 4 and the game ignored that decision in episode five. Oh, like no. it either registered the wrong save or who knows what happened. But essentially he started episode five with everyone being upset at him for a choice he didn't make. And wow. there's no way to go back and just like tick a box and, and change that. Um, and that's incredibly frustrating because the, the investment, what they're selling is you, you know, having an active participation in this story. And then so the technical problems, the, the save game issues, like all these, these, these technical hurdles that were not necessarily excusable years ago, but at least were understandable and was like a hoop you were willing to jump through. Like, just isn't you know they have hundreds of employees uh they had a significant investment for, you know externally from Lionsgate like i don't know exactly their uh on hand cash situation but for the amount of games they're putting out at the pace they're putting them out they they're doing all right and it, and it's just it's not it's not excusable it hasn't been excusable for a long time and it's it's frustrating as someone that is a fan of these games that looks at a game like Until Dawn, looks at a game like Life is Strange, and sees yeah. what is possible from expanding the adventure. I think Life is Strange is probably the best example um, of, like, what is possible when you, like, Life is Strange is enhanced by its, you know, better modeling and animation and, and all that stuff. Like, that the story yeah. would, would if you were to take that story and put it into Telltale's technology, it wouldn't have been as effective. Like, Until Dawn, part of the reason... That game works is because it has the really advanced, like, uh, a facial capture, which is, like, slightly creepy but also interesting in an L.A. noir <laughs> sort of way. Yeah. But, it, but yeah. it shows what's possible. And it's not that I ex- – because of sort of the pace that Telltale works at, I, I don't necessarily expect them to be able to pull that off. But I feel like there is something in between that would greatly benefit – the, the storytelling they're trying to do because like I guess I point out in the piece I think Guardians is 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 really well written and like uh surprisingly uh adept at uh uh sort of maintaining James Gunn's uh stylization from the film in a way that I found myself uh, laughing but I should have been laughing more when like you know a punchline is set up between like Star-Lord and Drax but there's like the the halting pause that uh Rob is talking about that like a ra- you know the the dead air isn't you know that wasn't. That's not there on purpose. That's there because it's jankily trying to to load the next scene, and by then you sort of lost um, like what they've uh, set up. So you know, I 
I'm going to keep playing these games because they're a certain comfort food for me. And as I mentioned in the piece, that's both like a compliment and a problem. Like I think after The Walking Dead's first season, I think the sky was the limit for yeah. Telltale in terms of like creative risks they could have taken. And I think some series have shown them to try. I think The Wolf Among Us, which was not perfect by any stretch, had a lot of problems, but I think showed like – you know, like a, a, a an attempt at like a more mature, interesting sort of subject matter that they could play with um, that, that, I, that I thought was the right track. And it's like that's like, you know, the one series that hasn't gotten uh, a second season. And uh, yeah, I just I want these games to be better. It's it, like I write this story from like a uh, a like a, a place where I, I deeply love a lot of what they're doing. And I just I, I see ways that they can improve it. And I, I, I look as as my job is to kind of vocalize something that I've seen from a lot of Telltale fans that just like, oh man, we're like, we love what you're doing, Telltale, but just like, come on. Put a little in there. Put a little, little bit of uh, quality of life improvements would go a long, long way. Right. Like. And yeah. it, just, it just seems to be getting worse. Like, I don't remember <laughs> The Walking Dead operating that way. And maybe that's because, like, they stayed within what they could actually achieve with that engine a little more effectively, but I remember that experience being reasonably crisp. And... Now, like Batman was basically unplayable by the end. It sounds like this is in like increasingly bad. So I don't know if it's there. Is the technology is getting creaky, or they're no longer putting the time in that's required to circumvent its creakiness? Yeah, it's hard to tell. You know, they're certainly publishing a lot more platforms than they were in the past too, sure. which that that doesn't help. I mean, they they you know impressively launch on basically everything when they launch a new series. You know, PC, Mac. You know, PS4, Xbox One, uh, you know, they're on iOS and Android devices. Like, yeah. I mean, you, when you're doing all of that, you're going to increase the prop, you know, the possibility of, of issues. And by ha- developing something that can adapt to that many platforms, you introduce the possibility of, of more of issues. So, you know, it's it's tough for me. Uh, you know, I've heard stories internally, but, you know, I, I can't paint a complete picture of what that is. And, and, and my, my story doesn't try to necessarily prescribe a so- solution. Um because I, I don't I don't know what their you know their uh, their their process is like how what it is like for a production of an episode it's more just you know I like these games please do better because I, I think I could like your games more <laughs> <laughs> sure <laughs> and they are you know to your very original point they are the perfect uh, companion video gaming experience I, I oh, do the same thing with my girlfriend like. One of us will be playing. One of us will make the decision. Sometimes we'll, like, chat about, like, oh, man, wh- what should we do? Uh, and, you know, that's actually really fun. It's, like, a really fun collaboration. It's even thing. better now because they – they uh, a couple of games ago – I'm not sure where it came in. I know it's in, like, the last uh, year and a half or so. Uh, they added this crowd play feature, which, oh, you know, they, yeah. they often demonstrate uh, – when they're doing like theater presentations of their games at festivals. So like hundreds of people can weigh in on a decision. But for, for me, like what it means is now, like, whereas my uh, wife would communicate the decision and then I would input it on the controller. Now she just literally inputs the decision through her phone. And like, it's cool. Like it's, it's, it's like one step closer to her uh, and I sort of like uh, bonding over the game. So it's like, that that stuff is cool, but that's yeah. like the stuff surrounding the game, yeah, as opposed sure. to the, the stuff that is you know a little more uh, inside. On the inside, different game, different game. So, uh, Rob, I want to ask you something about sort of what you've been playing. But even better, a question came in that was such a Rob question. Mm-hmm. So I think I think we'll take an early dip okay. into the question bucket, and we'll make it like your 
your thing that you're talking about too. See, this is me. I'm not Austin. I gotta, I gotta cut corners. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not as good a host, but I'm trying to make it work. So, Rob, this one came in from Oscar, and Oscar writes. I'm currently fighting with myself to stay away from Europa Universe Alice 4 so I can go back to playing Witcher 3 and Bayonetta. Or try that new Stellaris expansion. But what if I restarted my Austria run and was more proactive about preventing French and Ottoman expansions? 150 hours go by in which I've played and finished like 8 other games or made some minor progress in The Witcher 3 and I resent all that time that feels unproductive in retrospect. I might have a problem. A problem is in caps. Do you have games like this where you feel like you'd rather be playing something else and yet you just keep coming back for reasons you can't explain? Obviously, this is a question for everybody, but like it, it was framed around you, Rob. We had we had Witcher in there. We had Stellaris. We had Universa, whatever that name is. <laughs> I uh, always fuck it up. Europa Universa, Universalis. Europa yeah. Universalis. Uh, it's. I mean, it's it's natural to feel that way because you only play full lifetime commitment video games, uh, Oscar. That's <laughs> my friend. <laughs> I mean, that is, and and that, that's me too. Like, I, look, I've got a Witcher three save that I am I am keen to return to. Uh, I think the last time it was it was fired up was sometime in in mid twenty sixteen. Uh, I've not. I need to catch up on that. Those are all, and the problem is those are all games that I think reward. Uh, that extra time. So I, I think more, there are absolutely those games you end up sort of resenting uh, because <laughs> you know that you could take a little break and play a quick 10-hour shooter campaign or, or you know, something like that. But there is no, there is no way around this. Like, it, it's, it's the opportunity cost. Like, if you're going to be serious about Europe Universalis... <laughs> That's going to take the place. That's that's going to represent probably like eight or nine other games that you could have played that you didn't, uh, and that's yeah. that's just the that's just the deal you made. Uh, I don't really like I, you know I think probably Dark Souls is is a similar sort of game. Yeah, yeah, like I, you know I'm, I'm certainly feeling that that like with Persona that I, I I said like I played 15 hours of it one week and was like okay this game is a 80 hour commitment minimum. Uh, <laughs> if I was to just keep charging through that i could probably finish this game in a month but then it would mean i have played one game for a month which is fine for a lot of people but both incompatible with my job and then i also just like playing a variety of things and so it's like okay so i you know i played it for a week and then like okay i'll play guardians then i'll play little nightmares and i'll play you know i'll play these little things that like give me some variety and then come back to persona but that's that's difficult sometimes with games that require like sort of a, a a you know a commitment like with all of your mental energy where like taking a break is going to make it difficult to come back to it. Dark Souls games are kind of like that where you you know when you come like I come back for the DLC it requires a ramp up time where I just like get accustomed to the flow of playing that game because it's it's not necessary it is like riding a bike but you've got to ride that bike around the block a few times yeah. or, or <laughs> get killed by a monster 10 times before yeah. you bike monsters out. Yeah, for sure. I'm having this right now really, really, really badly with Zelda. I can't put it down. I'm like 120 hours into this game, and I still haven't even finished much of the main story quest. I haven't. There's a, still a divine beast out there stomping around in my Which game. Which one? Uh, the camel. 
it's, it's oh, the fine. one in the, in, the, in the desert? Yeah, in the desert. Um, but I've I've got all the great fairies now, and I'm upgrading all my clothes to, like, the, the complete degree, and I'm finding every single little secret. I'm finding every little landscape feature that has a name. That's my new thing, is, like, every single, oh, this mountain or this swamp or whatever. And it's really... It's starting to really get in the way. It was getting in the way a few weeks ago. Now it's really an issue. Like I'm <laughs> I was playing say that, yeah, game, that yeah. game came out in the middle of March or the beginning March of March third. I think it was a three three, and I had it maybe a day before. I've been playing the Wii U version. That's what came in early. Uh, that Austin didn't take. You know, no, I have no, you know, no hard feelings or anything. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for the shit version of the Thanks. game, Austin. I, I mean, it's when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. It's fine. It plays beautifully. Uh, but I'm playing Full Throttle. You know, it, also contributing to the adventure game discussion. And that game, the Full Throttle remaster, is beautiful and amazing. And it's maybe one of the best games of that era. Um, you know, I think it's kind of between that and um, Manny. What the Grim other... Fandango. Yes, Grim Fandango. I honestly feel like those two are maybe my favorite actual 90s adventure game. Uh, and... Playing this again, well, I didn't play the whole thing uh, previously. I wasn't actually a PC kid. I had been exposed to Full Throttle sort of uh, later on and, you know, at friends' houses and that sort of thing. Uh, But I love the atmosphere of that game. I love the sort of simplified interface of that game. There's like, you know, talk or hit or or grab things, like the verbs are somewhat The only things that Danielle needs to know. You know? Talk, hit, grab. That's right. Only verbs that Danielle Rando has in her life and in her video games. Correct. Correct. You know me. You know how it is. So, and it's awesome. And it has all this sort of like precursor brutal legend and psychonaut stuff in it, which those are like my favorite games ever. So I'm, I'm all excited about it. And I'm loving it. But I can't play more than like 20 minutes without being like... Wonder what Link's doing right now. Yeah, you know, I bet there's some good <laughs> mushrooms in that forest that I that I saved in a few minutes ago. And it's like this is getting to be like an addiction. This is actually getting to be a little bit of, as Oscar says, a problem. You know, capital letters. <laughs> like I, I think I might need to finish Zelda just so I can be like, no, you're done. You did it. It's done. <laughs> is that you keep sort of setting like new things you want to do in the game? Yes. Okay, yeah. See, I think that's the that's, that's what the real it is. danger yeah. too. <laughs> is like a lot of those paradox games, for instance, uh, that Oscar listed. Like, it's not like Civ, where Civ builds toward the set ending and like which victory you're going for, and then the game ends, and then and then it releases you from this hell. Right. Uh, you, like <laughs> EU is a game where you're constantly like, okay, it's really open ended. So I guess the next thing I want to do. Is have my guy become Pope, and then use that to excommunicate the French king, so I can annex the Dutch. Cool, I think go. I'll do that. And that you just committed <laughs> to like a twenty-hour plot, and you're going to yep. go do that. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Like if you pull that off, that's going to be sweet. But it's yeah. going to it's, it's going to create problems for you. Yep. Well, and it's it's funny because uh, there was a piece that Austin wrote earlier this week about. How uh, games have a lot of endings, but so few conclusions. I think was uh, yeah. sort of yeah. and his, his sort of like general premise was that you know 
critiquing a game like uh, Breath of the Wild, which is indicative of, a, of the way a lot of games, and especially these open world games, uh, in which there are so much, th- so many things you could continue doing, is that he wishes more games allowed you to see the after effects of saving the world or whatever is the big uh, uh, goal. And a lot of games just end, or when you finish them, then they dump you at you know the moments before the final uh, battle, so you can kind of go back out into the world. And I have found, sort of like uh, emotionally and psychologically. Because if Zelda had allowed me to go back out into the world and see a little bit of what had happened after, I might have stuck with it and kept playing with it and, and dinking around with it a little bit more. But because I sort of finished it and kind of put a cap on it, and then yeah. the game's response to that is like, well, let's go back to that moment before you beat Ganon <laughs> and keep yeah. looking around. Like it kind of undercuts my desire to want to go explore that world again because it's like, well, I went and did the thing. And right. so what, now I'm going to go do the other stuff and then come back and do the thing again, I guess, right. like, as opposed to beating Ganon and then having an, uh, an opportunity to uh, – even if I don't actually find out what happened, just say like, you did it, buddy, and like <laughs> go out into the world. Like it just – it, it yeah. feels like anticlimactic in a way that undercut my desire to want to continue poking in the world because I, I felt a sense of closure and it's, if the game could have more effectively – put me back into that world and enticed me into continuing a poking a product. And I'll go back there because I know better and there are side quests I still want to see. Um, but uh, I, I thought it was a bummer the way yeah. that game ends because specifically of that where it's like there there is a hundred hours more of things I could do in that game. Uh, and, and it would have been nice to have sort of like an easier transition into actually doing that. Yeah, I'm. that's why I haven't uh... – <laughs> I've heard yeah, that. See, like, that's you seem why like you're avoiding finished. it because once you begin, you're like, "Oh, okay. Well, I did the thing. Yeah, the thing is done. I I yeah. could get those mushrooms, but who cares? Yeah, right. it, I right. totally. God, I, that's what's making me think, like, just for my own sanity, that maybe I should. All right, I'll get the damn mushroom, and then maybe three other things, and then go for the final divine beast, and then go get Ganon. We'll we'll see. Uh, the, uh, you know, if it's July and I'm still doing this, maybe we'll take it away from you. Yeah, somebody might need to take the. Well, no, but at that point they'll probably be announcing the you know <laughs> the, the expansion that's coming out later this year. So oh, no. you, we got we're gonna have to just unplug, just hide the power cord from you yeah, at some pretty point. Pretty much, it's a uh, little dangerous for sure. You you were also <laughs> playing the was it the Dis- the Disney package that came yes. out earlier this week, right? It's really good. That was that successfully drew me away from Zelda for like four <laughs> or five hours. hours. Yeah, yeah, totally. two yeah, hours. Exactly. I'm in a day. This is. I feel so bad for Full Throttle right now because I, Disney Adventure came out. Or I got the code a few days ago when I was in like a a slight waning period with Zelda. Like still playing it, no question. But like playing it for an hour kind of thing. And then I right. spent the weekend, I found the last fairy, and now I'm, like, full into the fever again. But yeah, Disney Adventure, uh, sorry, Disney Afternoons, the Disney Afternoon Collection uh, is wonderful and great. It's uh, it's five games from the 90s, or late 80s, early 90s, NES games, that were those really, really good Capcom Disney games. And they were all sort of based on the uh, uh, Disney Afternoon block. I don't know if, we're all the same age, I think, or around the same age-ish. Uh, so you know, it was all about that kid. tailspin. All about exactly. that tailspin. Tailspin, Ducktales, Chippendales, Rescue Rangers, uh, Darkwing Duck. Those are the games in this collection. Uh, it's Ducktales one and two, Chippendales one and two, uh, Tailspin, and the Darkwing Duck game. Um, 
They're all really good, and they hold up really well. I mean, DuckTales especially probably is the one that I played the most of as a little kid, and then just on muscle memory was able to just get through and find every secret again. And I oh, haven't wow. picked up that game since, like, 1990. Like, it's it's been a long time. I somehow never um, played any of those games oh. that, like, I don't know why that was a weird blind spot. For maybe my local family video store did not stock those games for for some reason, but oh, no. I, yeah, I don't know for some reason. Even though I watched those those shows and owned a, a NES, uh, I for some reason I didn't really play a lot of the the Capcom Disney games. I missed out on a couple of them. I had never played the Tailspin game. I think I had only played like the Darkwing Duck game at a friend's house once or something. Um, the Ducktales games I played a ton of and loved and had very fond memories of, but. Yeah, I mean, going back, you know, it's always a little weird. You're always going to be like, okay, uh, here we go. Uh, but they're actually beautiful and sound amazing, and they're really well-constructed platformers. Like, they were they were from the era where everything had a platformer. Like, every cartoon mascot, everybody who was on a cereal box, everybody on a pizza box. Like, Yo Noid was a game for the Domino's It was, pizza yes. Dude. Um, so, I somehow I somehow I played that game, yeah, but not see, Tailspin. <laughs> but not the like really great. Uh, these are probably because like, I loved Dominoes. You know, it was it was there. I mean that that game wasn't bad or anything. It was just sort of one of those middling, you know, yeah. platform mascot platformer games. Uh, but the, for some reason, I think they uh, Capcom put a lot of their sort of. Um, like Bomberman, but but much lighter. Like these games are not nearly as difficult. Darkwing Duck is a little tougher than the others, but generally they're they're fairly accessible kind of versions of that. You know, they're all platformers where uh, at least the Ducktales games you can kind of choose the world you're going into. You can go in at different orders. You get sort of items as you as you go. You know that kind of thing. Uh, but it's all like very colorful and very like child friendly, which I'm happy about now. <laughs> Playing these games, being like, oh okay, this isn't killing me this isn't too difficult basically. an adult with your childlike reflexes basically with my sloppy you know i'm just trying to play Doesn't, uh the, the game has some sort of unique rewind function right yeah that's that's was sort of my favorite part can you explain that like how how that works yeah absolutely it's just like in a forza or a, you know racing game if you screw up you can just hold the trigger as long as you like and the the screen literally just rewinds you know with sound effects and music included uh, so basically in in like if you're in a tough boss fight or if you're you know you keep falling at a place or something you just immediately hit the button go back to where you're at a safe spot and keep playing it is it is a godsend for the games that you don't have muscle memory for you know knowing every secret or every sort of cheap area or that sort of thing and it makes them really really enjoyable is there any sort of like limitations on that, or is it just at your discretion, sort of like an unlimited to continue cheat? Like, just hey man, yeah, unlimited quarters, <laughs> basically, is what it is. Uh, which I think is great. I'm sure there are some purists who are like, oh, you've you've ruined it because you're you're allowing me to cheat. But it's kind of like there's know. a reason nobody <laughs> makes games like that anymore. Yeah, honestly, it's the you know like the what's in front of you is like well either you just won't finish the game. Because you don't have the tolerance for a game like this or the time for a game like this anymore, or you you know essentially do the equivalent of having save states in an emulator uh, and like actually get a chance to see what the game has to offer and get to the end credits. Like you can still play the game without it; it's fine. Yeah, you don't have to use it. I I really am in favor of this sort of thing for uh, especially for an older game. You know, the, these games were made with a very different. Uh, 
conception of what difficulty was fair <laughs> in right. the, you know, almost 30 years ago, some of them. So it, I, I, I'm totally cool with it. I know I'm, I'm sure there's like a speedrunner somewhere who's pissed off that it exists, but uh, you know, that's fine. Go with God speedrunner. Yeah. I, I, totally I think that's, fun. I think it's really smart. <laughs> and it's, it's, it sounds like also that this game, which is uh, developed by the same folks that worked on the last Mega Man collection with Capcom. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That's you know, right. folks like Frank Cifaldi, who's, you know, doing uh historian and archivist work in video games. There's a, I should look up his Patreon if you wanted to support it, because that would be the right thing to do for this as I talk. Yeah, that's slowly. okay. We it, it's I and another interesting thing as you're finding it is that uh, it sort of came out on the same day as Full Throttle and another sort of remake. There, there was a really funny thing. Where oh yeah, the, the Monster Boy or Monster that, Boy uh, remake. That, yeah, Monster Monster Boy. Monster yeah, Monster Boy and Wonder World. Wonder Boy Wonder and Monster Boy. World. Wonder Boy. <laughs> Monster, uh, Mike, Diver, Mike Diver is super upset right now that we don't know the name of his <laughs> Mega Drive platformer that was popular in Europe. Wonder but you're, yeah, you're right. Monster like there was World. there was a, like a, a four different games that came out that yeah. handled how to deal with nostalgia and modernizing uh, a game in in very different ways. Where like you know the Disney Afternoon Collection is purist, but with some alterations that maybe make it easier to play. Um, Whereas the the Monster Boy and Wonder World uh, game, uh, like you know, was the same game, but they put uh, a new aesthetic over it, and you can yeah. swap between it to see that like the game is literally one to one. And yes, the Video Game History Foundation, which you can find at <laughs> Patreon.com/slash/GameHistoryOrg, um, if you want to help uh, him, uh, he's doing a ton of great work uh, trying to archive uh, yeah. video game history in a way that video game creators and developers and publishers do a very poor job of. Uh, so it's it's really fantastic work that he's, he's out there doing. And he partnered his the studio he works at, uh, worked with Capcom on the Mega Man collection and then also on the Disney Afternoon collection. So like there's his like side work that he's doing in which he's uh, you know like scanning magazines and you know dumping ROMs and things like that, but then also you know working with publishers to like essentially create better collections, you know, collections yeah. that actually give a sense of History. I know that uh, Danielle, you're a big fan of the Rare games, and it seems oh, yeah. like Rare and Microsoft did a very good job of that with the collection they put out uh, as well a little while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was pretty amazing. Um, and like, holy shit, they made a lot of really good games uh, for a period there for sure. One other quick thing on the note of, of sort of history and, and archiving this history. Uh, this was maybe one of the only compilations where I got really excited about the sort of extras. Um, it's it's not a, a massive amount of extras, but it's a lot of sort of concept art and showing how the artists drew these sprites. These are very, very beautiful sprites. This is generally pretty late NES era, so folks really kind of knew what they were doing uh, art-wise and animation-wise. And, uh, you know, sort of going from this really, really beautifully animated uh, cartoons to a really beautifully animated 8-bit game that, that did, you know, justice to these cartoons. I... I love sprite art. I love good pixel art, you know, not just for nostalgia's sake, but I, I really like a good, beautiful, clean kind of a pixel art piece, I guess. Piece, whatever. Games, media, whatever. Yeah, you're going to call it. And it, it's really cool to actually take a look at that. So it was one of the few, like, compilations where I actually dug into all that stuff and was like, oh, this is how they drew this robot dog from Rescue Rangers, <laughs> you know, things like that. <laughs> it's, it's fun for me to, to take a look at. So, yeah, really, really nicely done uh, compilation. And the only thing that's missing on there, 
is the Little Mermaid game for the NES is also shockingly good and holds up better huh. than, than you might think. But that I, that wasn't in the Disney Afternoon block. I don't think that was right. ever a cartoon. Uh, but one day, I would love for that to be uh, accessible and uh, able to be played. Is that um, also a Capcom game? It is, yeah. Wow, geez. They did an amazing job on those games. It's, it's pretty incredible. So I played um, a lot of the SNES ones, like the, sure. the, Mickey, the Mickey Mouse. And, uh, well, yeah, yeah the land and like specifically the Mickey Mouse uh platformers that uh mm. that that capcom worked on castle of illusion and, yes, and things yes. like that yeah, yeah yeah those were great too those were awesome so capcom did some pretty amazing work with the disney properties back yeah back in the day it's kind of kind of crazy i mean i feel like we now we kind of look on that and and say like oh you know licensed works can be very hit or miss that sort of thing but it was a very very good era for them for that i mean they were definitely the exception to the rule like yeah, that's the yeah. thing. Like literally everything. <laughs> Yonoid was game more. Tie-in and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Don't talk shit about Yonoid. <laughs> you know, it's not a bad game. It's not a bad game. It but. might be, but don't talk shit about it anyway. <laughs> I feel like I went back to it way later on and was like, okay, you know, this isn't bad. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> maybe I'll, next seventy-two. Maybe we'll play. Yes, something we will like beat that. Yonoid. Yeah, you know, you know real, we're gonna, real we're gonna play knack that little seven up co op and got his own video annoyed. game too. That was that game was actually kinda good. I remember it being kinda good, but I also remember good. kinda being like I am playing a game around a really like sixth rate marketing mascot. Oh yeah. He's a red circle cool with legs. spot. I think it was it was called Cool Spot, wasn't oh, it? God, I don't I don't know. It was, and that was like later on, and not to go off on a huge tangent here, but that was like a little bit later on. That was a PlayStation One game, and I think it was like mid to late nineties, actually. So it, it was already like the sixth rate, you know, marketing campaign. Was, I think I played was it already on SNES. Late. So if oh, it was really? also on PlayStation One, it must have been like a squarely in the middle. Ninety six, yeah. ninety five, like one of the. I'm trying to maybe maybe I played the sequel. There was a Pepsi Man game. Like it's there's a lot. There sure is. They were just oh, ahead man. of their time. They didn't they didn't anticipate people would want to engage with brands as much as they do right now. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> like you're not even a little bit wrong. Uh, let's do one more quick question uh, from the bucket and call it a day. This is a this is a lighter, easier one. I think a little bit, and this one comes from. Colton F. Colton F. writes, How's it going, Waypointer crew? I was wondering what everyone's favorite small details are that they look for in games. For me, I always appreciate good reload animations in shooters. Beyond a reload animation just looking cool, I admire when the animations fit the theme of the game, like in Crisis 2. Every weapon had three different reload animations based on whether you're normal, armored, or stealth mode. Normal having standard shooter reloads, armored having exaggerated and slash slammy reloads, uh, and stealth having really careful, quiet reloads. Uh, and he, or, or they link to the Crisis 2 reload animation video. Which, which is really cool, nice. by the way. Like, Yeah, that's he's, rad. He's like loading <laughs> this like futuristic revolver three different ways, and it's actually really cool. And yeah. I could totally see that adding a lot to that sense of like, especially when you're in stealth, right? Where you're like, dudes quietly like sort of thumbing cartridges into the revolver. Like, that's awesome. Like, 100% on board with that's that. Really good. A small detail that I noticed uh, recently while playing Persona 5 uh, is I, I appreciate uh, efficiencies and in interfaces that allow you to accomplish things uh, 
faster, like where yeah. the game can assume what you want to do and allows you to do it uh, faster rather than navigating your way there. So, for example, part of the way that Persona 5 combat works is predicated on uh, experimenting with different uh, elements, you know, fire and thunder and things like that to see what the weakness is for uh, an enemy. Uh, and so once you've discovered the weakness for an enemy, uh, you're probably going to want to use that again on the enemy because it weakens them and blah, it gets, does more damage, blah, 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 blah. And so once that happens, you can just hit R1 and the game will navigate immediately through the menu, pull up that the weakness. Um, and this is even if, if, if it's uh, not even on a per-battle basis. Once you've discovered the weakness for an enemy, the next time you encounter them, all you have to do is hit R1, and the game will immediately jump to that weakness, and then all you have to do is hit X uh, to cast it. Like, it just saves an incredible amount of time, mental energy. You don't have to, you know, probably over the course of playing a 100-hour game, I, I'm I'm guessing that saves you hours of time oh, yeah. by not yeah. having to, to dig through that menu. The game also has... Uh, Another smart uh, feature, which uh, is uh, often if you're uh, fighting off against uh, some weaker enemies where you're just going to sit there and hit X and, like, just do the normal attack, blah, 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 blah. It has something called a rush mode, so you hit option uh, on the controller, and it just immediately does physical attacks constantly. And it, and it skips animations. It just goes doot, 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 doot. Nice. But it goes slow enough that if for some reason things go wrong or a status effect messes up your uh, the flow of the battle, you can stop it and then, you know, kind of intervene and, and uh, choose a different uh, uh, path for uh, your characters. But uh, just both those things together make the flow of combat, uh, which can often feel or sometimes feel tedious in a JRPG. It's built into to sort of the design of a lot of those and especially Persona 5. But it, tr- it tries to meet you halfway and say, okay, well, even though you're going to be doing this a lot, here are ways that are, it's going to be more efficient. Here's the way it's going to be uh, easier to get through. And like I really appreciate those tiny details uh, because it, 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 it also – it shows a, a amount of care and uh, – attention to detail on the side of the developers that they're respecting your time. Like, there's a huge part of what I uh, look for in games these days, especially as a parent with less time, is yeah. is a game being mindful of the time that I'm spending with it? And, and details like that show me that, yes, this game is crazy long, but the developers are mindful of the time I'm spending and putting into it and trying to maximize uh, the, the time that I'm spending with it. Yeah, that's... That sounds very, very helpful. Rob, what about you? What's, uh, what's oh, something man, you've been noticing? So many good details. So many so many <laughs> delicious little treats. Uh, to, to stay with the firearm theme, yeah. uh, I always really enjoyed the guns in the Red Orchestra games. Uh, nice reload animations, but also they're just... One thing that Red Orchestra is very good about is the guns interact very contextually with the environment. So a perfect example is... You see more of it now, but like when you're crouched by a window or something or a low-lying wall a lot of times in a first-person game now you sort of have an option to pop up above the cover and sort of like use it as a place to rest your gun red orchestra was one of the first games to do that but it also goes a step further by like you're basically able to brace your weapon against any surface you you encounter so like if you are standing next to a window you can you don't have to crouch and use the windowsill you can also just brace your gun like along the side of the wall uh you know hmm. things like that so it gives you the sense that like you're inhabiting this this space and because the name of that game is entirely like dealing with the fussiness and clunkiness of each weapon uh it actually ends up adding a lot to the game uh i always really loved like anything that sort of evokes a sense of 
you are there, right? And maybe that's one yeah. of the reasons I reacted to this in, in Red Orchestra. But uh, in one of the things I really loved about the F1 games that Codemasters put out is that a lot of racing games, you just like go from the menu and you materialize on the track in a car. And you don't really have the sense of like you being in any kind of physical space. You're just like you're a creature that exists within a car or you exist in the menus. Uh, something I really dug about the F1 series is that every session starts with you in the garage, uh, basically. And you're in the car, but like you can see your mechanics going around working on the car, tweaking settings. Like if you say like, oh, put the, uh, you know, put the wet weather tires on the car, it doesn't just happen. Like the crew comes around the car and you, you can look around and you'll see them like changing settings on the car in response to what you're doing. Um, and that's like just little things like that, but yeah. it is a huge difference psychologically. It's, it's, you know, it makes it feel a little bit like, less like, this is a game where you are a car, and a little more of like this is a game where I'm a I'm the driver of a car. That stuff is amazing. I'll uh, I'll be really quick because I know we gotta move on to other stuff in life. Uh, I'll do three things. I love the sound effects when you find a, a Korok in in Zelda. There's like this really adorable little sort of woodsy sound effect. It's very Wind Waker esque for the sort of Forbidden Woods area, and two animations that really stood out to me in games that I. Really, really loved uh, and really enjoyed in Rise of the Tomb Raider every time, uh, which is a great game. Uh, really, really good sort of video game ass video game. Outdoes Uncharted in a lot of ways. I yes. think. Yes. Yes. In a yes. lot of ways. Yeah. Yes. All right. Good. Team Rise of the Tomb Raider here. Very nice. Uh, whenever you get out of the water, Lara Croft actually sort of rings out her 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 hair, her ponytail, and it's like a very like it's a tiny detail. But it is one of those things that, like, just embodies you, like, right there. Like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, ladies or people with long hair do that when they get out of water. It's, like, a very common kind of thing that was, like, yeah, that actually kind of grounds the character in this sort of practical but sort of real way. And the other one being um, in Firewatch, every time Henry descends, like, a staircase in his in his Firewatch tower, he kind of touches the... Uh, the upper beam like he's just he's just sort of ambling down and he like touches that upper beam and it's like a very cool little thing where it's like yeah, he's a tall guy like he's in this space he's really in this space that's what you know rob you're a tall guy i don't know oh, if you personally yep, do, do that, that all the but, time all right yeah because cool. <laughs> if your hands up there you know where that is and you're, you're not gonna clock tap. yourself yeah you know <laughs> exactly uh so i love stuff like that too i love exactly what you're saying about like things that put you there you know very much like oh yeah i'm 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 either there with the character or this is telling me something about that character. I think that's super rad. And on that very happy note, I think it's time for us to uh, to say goodbye and get ready for our weekend, do all that kind of fun stuff. So, uh, hey, Patrick, where can people find you on this great big internet? They can find me at Patrick Klopik. Awesome. Rob, how about you? On Twitter.com, at Rob yep. Zachney. Oh, beautiful! You guys both have have really good names for that. I guess mine's pretty close to that too. I'm I'm Danielle R I on Twitter, and you can always find us at Waypoint uh, and at Waypoint Vice on Facebook. You can find all the amazing stuff that we do. Well, some of it's amazing. I like to think it's pretty amazing. We we have a good website, right? You know, we make we make some good stuff on our website. Uh, <laughs> Vice, on Bazinga. On Bazinga.Zone. Yes, you can go to Bazinga.Zone, New.Donk.City. What are some of the other real good ones? Uh, I know there's like a, you know. Anime.Bad. 
Anime.bad. Is that real? Not, I'm not sure nope. that's one of them. Nope. Someone should <laughs> okay, make never that mind. happen. <laughs> oh, my God. Good. Good. Well, you can find all of those beautiful things not at anime.bad. And uh, shout-outs, of course, to our producer, Tim Barnes. Shout-outs to Bowen, who you, who lets us use his track, Miss You, off of the EP Pale Machine. You can go to waypoint.zone slash Bowen. Thank you, everyone, for spending your time with us on Waypoint Radio. I will leave you with this. Be good or be good at it. And play Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze (laughs) (laughs) if the chance ever presents itself. I mean, yeah. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.